Stephen Hackett, welcome back. Hey, how are you? I'm really good. Glad we could uh, talk again and at a moment where I think we will have a whole lot to talk about. No, WWC is always a a busy week for those of us sort of in the Mac tech journalism scene, but it's so different not being there in person. I've been to every one since 2013. What I'm learning this year is it's just as tiring (laughs) working from home during WWC because instead of like being out and in meetings and doing live events, I just watched like six hours of session videos today and my brain is completely oatmeal. Well, see, I'm in the opposite boat. This was going to be my first WWDC. I've always, I've always kind of wanted to go, but it's only the last few years that like YouTube and covering tech has become like a job for me, something that I have an excuse to spend money on traveling to watch a keynote. That's right. So this would have been the year. You just have to convince your CPA. (laughs) I'm working really hard on it. But now, yeah, this would have been the year. And we we, we could have finally uh, met in person, but I guess we'll we'll just keep waiting. I I can't complain about that forever. A pandemic has kept us apart. First, I'd just love to talk about the production of the keynote because from a video production perspective, this was amazing. I, I... tweeted during like comparing it to the Sony keynotes that I've watched lately. And I, did you happen to see any of the PS5 keynotes by chance? I did. I saw a little bit of that. And, you know, some of these companies are better than others. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that, I guess. It's just it's <laughs> just so stark how how obvious it is that Apple really, really cares about their video looking great. Not just not just technically good, but creative and engaging and drawing people in. I mean, what it looks to me like they were doing is they, they shot all this on a Steadicam, uh, I'm guessing with an Alexa. Um, and the way they, the way they like did the lighting and the staging and the pacing was just so they, they're ready to produce a, a full on commercial. They didn't think of it as, uh, we need to have a, keynote format, which is, you know, clearly what everybody else I watched lately has done. That's what Sony did. That's what uh, I was watching the electronic arts, the game announcements. It just had that feeling of like, they kind of thought they were on stage, but they're not, you Mm -hmm. know, they're basically making a commercial for themselves. And Apple really embraced that in all the best ways and put all of the production and, and money behind it that it deserved and that nobody else seems to do. Yeah, and they sort of leaned into it. I really loved those opening shots of Tim Cook, and his back was to where the audience would sit in the Steve Jobs Theater. So later on, he was facing the way he would normally face at the end. But the beginning where he sits down, he's talking about the pandemic. He's talking about Black Black Lives Matter. He's sitting there facing us, facing the camera opposite from the way you normally see him. And that's that was a subtle touch. I think for a lot of people, they don't notice it. For people like you and I who are really dialed oh, into yeah. this stuff. No, it felt like really bold to me. Like it felt, it, it made you start, it set a very specific tone revealing like, look, this is where you're supposed to be. You should be sitting in this mm-hmm. chair right now. And, and we're showing you the fact that it's empty because, uh, you know, it's, it's embracing the reality of it. It's like, look, this is, this is what's happening. We're not going to try to pretend that this is a typical mm-hmm. keynote. And, it, they just hit all the right notes with it. I just, just from a production perspective, it was so, so well done. It really was. They showed off Apple Park throughout it. So you would have somebody in the lobby of the Steve Jobs Theater, and then we saw Kevin Lynch in the fitness center. And 
in the sessions, I'm not sure if you've seen, seen any of those yet, there are people in other workspaces around Apple's campus. And so we're getting to see more of their sort of headquarters than we ever have. They're kind of leaning into it like, this is just where we are. And one thing I thought was really cool, at the very end of the keynote stream, when they do like sort of the credits, instead of credits, they had what right. they did yeah, to the protect the people. Yeah, I thought that was a really great touch saying, hey, you know, we all know that we're all working from home. We're all socially distant. This is what we did to keep everybody safe and healthy during this time. And I thought that was really cool of them because Apple does think about those things. And yeah, I'm sure that Sony and EA and everyone else doing these events, they're practicing these same things, but Apple is going to tell you what they did. And I thought that was a nice, a nice Sony was just so crazy about it. And okay. So it's not really fair to compare the, uh, there's two PS5 keynotes. Um, one of them was more recent and was great. The one that everybody loved that had the game demos. That was, that was a hit. That was, that was good. I can't hit it too hard. The first one that was like their developer, uh, keynote, Mm -hmm. They, this was right at the beginning of the pandemic as well. So they didn't have as much time to pre- prepare. Like everybody's scrambling to figure out like, what what is this even going to look like? But they pretty obviously had fake audience members. Do you, did you see this? Do you remember this? Like, I don't know if they were just cardboard oh, yeah. cutouts or if it That's was weird, digital, right? but it was like, this is, it's just, <laughs> it's just the complete opposite of what Apple did of, of mm-hmm. like revealing like, look, it's empty. And then Sony's like, yeah. well, you know, it's empty, but we're going to mm-hmm. play, <laughs> play like it isn't. It's so weird. There was a story in the news today about a, an opera house, I think in Spain, and they're going to resume concerts. They're going to stream them, but they're going to have plants in the audience. Because they want, I guess they want some sort of sound absorption. They don't want to have a completely empty space. Oh, I thought you were meant like gonna plants, be like, like when you plant a person, you mean like potted ferns. Like, like uh, the plant <laughs> over your shoulder. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's pretty good, and right? a good idea. Yeah. You think of the body mass, like just of, sand, I mean, I'm actually, I don't have enough of it up right now. And you can hear the echo of the room because I don't have enough blankets in front of me. It would also work to put, uh, you know, 50 people or a whole bunch of bi- other biomass yeah. would, would work. So that's super interesting. Yeah. Just go out to your local nursery and clean them out and you'll have a better sounding podcast. <laughs> that, I mean, that'd be a much more attractive way to do. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that because putting, there's nothing uglier than a sound blanket. Like it's functional, but yeah. they just make the studio look like trash. So, uh, this is, this is a great strategy. Yeah. Like I have this whole black wall of foam, you know, it's like, it's here, it's not beautiful, but. It's functional. Another another like element I was thinking about that I, they really got right in the produ- I mean production for a few more seconds here, because it was on a Steadicam. Everybody was mic'd with labs, so they were fully mobile, and it was this this feeling. I mean, it's easy to take this stuff for granted because you just watch a video and you don't usually consider what went into it in terms of preparation and planning. And if we take this particular approach to telling the story what's what will the implications be for the audience watching and so one of them is that having the camera on the move and then having them mic'd up with wireless labs means that there is this just really loose feeling to the whole thing like imagine if it was the same thing but they all just stood in the exact same place the whole time or there was Mm -hmm. a podium for no reason so it was just this embracing like embracing the fact that there are all of the typical rules are now with the window. So it's like, what does this let us do? And one thing it lets them do is get what looks like a first person drone. Like it was a very 
precise flying <laughs> drone that was able to do some pretty amazing maneuvers. Like it's not easy. I mean, obviously they're professionals, but it's not easy to pilot a drone really close to, you know, between the trees and next to the building and in and out of windows. Um, and, you know, they were just doing transitions. So like as soon as the drone flies in, it goes near a wall and then they get a similar matching shot with the wall on the full size camera, which again, well done. But, um, yeah, that's, those are some tough drone maneuvers, but it came off so incredibly well. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just want to go on and on and praise them for it. I don't think anybody's posted behind the scenes yet, but like that, that's an interview I would love to have on this show. Like I want to talk to whoever prepped and, and planned to do that production. Cause you know, hats off. Yeah. And they only probably had a couple of months to do it. Right. I don't know what point Apple decided it was going to be virtual. I forget, but they knew it before they announced it to us. I mean, I would imagine this whole team of people had a very busy late spring. And I did have the thought while watching the keynote. Normally, you know, they're all on stage and doing things but like, are they all just like, is Tim Cook like at home just watching this on his iPad on his couch? Because it's all done. The work's all done, <laughs> right. right? It was all yeah. pre, pre-recorded. It's like, it's probably the, maybe the, like the least stressful keynote day for those people who are normally, <laughs> normally on stage. They can get our experience of just watching Twitter. <laughs> I hope they're not watching Twitter. <laughs> Another thing that was was kind of great about it is that uh, I mean, okay, actually, no. What I wonder is from their end, did they lock things in at a totally different time than they usually would have had to? Because I get the impression that there have always been a lot of like last minute changes going into keynotes. Like they're rehearsing and rehearsing, but still. I think details are refined to the last minute. And what's interesting about this is that the actual video production would take, I mean at least days to shoot it and days to edit it. And that means that everything needed to be fully committed earlier than it normally would have been. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you can't just like walk on stage and say something different than you expected to. So, right. Yeah. I wonder if they kept the same internal deadline because this WWC is depending on how you count it two to three weeks later than it quote would have been, right. You know, in a normal timeline. And so maybe it was the same sort of deal. Like, okay, the end of May. This is all. This is what we're going to show. This is what we're going to talk about. Uh, I do. I thought I did see a tweet. I forget uh, who who said it, but it was during one of the Apple Watch demos. Uh, I think the watch showed the date was June 9th. and oh. uh, so so you know that's a couple weeks ago. And so who, who knows how those timelines came together? But I agree with you. I want to hear so badly about this because it was it was so impressive and. The, it almost makes me nervous that this is just what Apple is going to do. Like, say we we get past this pandemic, we get past all of this stuff. It's just so good. We yeah, we don't get to hang out in person anymore because the video production is so effective. Yeah, yeah. Whoever was you know that executive producer or whatever, I don't know the titles, but whoever was in charge of it, if if WBC in person is canceled because of you, then like don't do such a I good guess job. You did a good job. Yeah. But but I'm sad. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, okay, the actual event. Uh, my, a question I have, I'm glad I can talk to you about this. You you make stuff, you make podcasts, you make YouTube videos. And actually, I got to say, at first, uh, I think since you were here last, you have launched a new podcast that did not exist before with Snazzy, who is yeah. an amazing podcaster. Uh, like he's been on this show before and just listening to him talk, it was always this feeling of, why don't you have a show? You're so good at speaking. Mm-hmm. You can just go on and on. <laughs> yeah. And it's all interesting, and you're you're right about most of it. Like he's great at it, and so I'm glad to see you guys got together and did something. 
Yeah, so that show is called Flashback. We actually just wrapped season one. We're, do- we're going to take a summer hiatus and come back in the fall. But season one was about failed tech products. So we talked about like, the Apple III, the Microsoft Zune, BOS, which like no one remembers. <laughs> um, all of these stories from 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s of technology that in some cases was really popular in its day, but then just cratered, or some things that never really made it off the ground. And you know, Quinn and I share this love for tech history. I mean, you can see behind me lots of tech history. Yeah, on this my is shelves. definitely your genre of expertise. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny you said that. Quinn and I were working on show ideas for like a year, and we just like kept bouncing ideas back and forth, and we finally finally landed on this. And uh, yeah, thanks. It's it was great. He's amazing to work with. Um, extremely detail oriented and extremely just extremely good like that voice that he you know that he can pull off the way that he speaks um it was it was been a real fun to get those first 10 episodes out. yeah i know I've, I've really enjoyed it and then you also have 512 pixels a youtube channel and blog and you make a lot of stuff um so it's true what, what i've been thinking Too about many <laughs> uh, one of the biggest questions for me coming out of all of this from these announcements, what does the Apple transition to their own silicon mean for creators like us? I mean, there's a million little things that were announced, but sure. all I can think about is there will be some very different computers that exist in the near future. Um, the yeah. operating systems can be different. All of the software that we're using is just necessarily going to have to change to some amount. And I just, I want to know what's in my future. Is this good for us? Is this going to just be a uh, challenges as we try to adapt? Um, what first comes to mind for you? Uh, I think it is good for, for creators. Uh, I've said this other places, but out of all the big tech companies, Apple is the best at transitions. And they even referenced this in the keynote videos that they moved to PowerPC in the 90s. They moved to Mac OS X in the early 2000s. And then about 15 years ago, they moved to Intel. Apple's done this. And that means they have all these technologies at the ready to make it uh, easier for their end users, both consumers and pros like you and I. And what's cool about this is that Apple has already come out and said, all of our apps, including our pro apps, are running natively on the ARM Max, whatever that ends up being. And so that means that Final Cut and Logic, as well as iWork and Contacts and Cal, anything They're all important. that comes, <laughs> all important. Um, someone like me who lives in my calendar, you know, I want that to run, <laughs> run super fast. And so Apple's doing the work now to at least make sure that their apps are ready to go. And they spent quite a bit of time talking about Microsoft and Adobe, arguably the two most important third-party developers on the Mac, saying, we're working with them, they're ready, they're going to be ready. And that's really good. And for apps that aren't ready on day one, they're providing a bridge in in, uh, terms of Rosetta, which is this technology that lets them run an Intel app on an ARM Mac. So it is doing some translation there. They're saying it's still going to be perfectly performant. You know, what that means on day one, you know, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But again, Apple's really good at this. And so there may be a little bit of uh, some pain here and there. But what's cool from a, the creator perspective is most of us are using things like the MacBook Pro, the iMac Pro. You know, I've got a Mac Pro under my desk in here. And those machines are 
you know, I'm guessing, but it'll probably come a little bit later. I think they're going to start with the sort of lower power consumer max. And they've said it's all going to be done within two years. So even if there is like a transition in terms of software, by the time that a 16-inch MacBook Pro replacement is ready or an I, new iMac Pro replacement or whatever it may be, we may be past that anyways. And so I think it's going to be a, a good thing because at the end of the day, we're going to get Macs that should be more power efficient. You know, before we started, you were dealing with an issue with like your fans on your Mac were just screaming, right? Like hopefully that is an issue that maybe we can move past a little bit. Better battery life. Um, but what I'm really excited about is Apple controlling the whole stack. If you think about the Mac Pro, something like the Afterburner card, that's like custom hardware that Apple put together for a very specific purpose. And with them building the whole system on a chip, they can do whatever they want. And you think about the iPhone, what they can do with photography, and like they're willing to get really deep in the weeds with silicon and software working together. And I think that's going to benefit people like you and I who really want every ounce of power out of a Mac that we can get. Yeah, that's been the the best example of this over and over again is as they take full control of a certain area of their hardware, it gets really, really good. And they've been, you know, just trying to selectively take over the most critical parts of it. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. When I compare an iPhone camera to any Android phone, like there is, there's something happening there that is a little bit magical Mm -hmm. in that, um, you know, I, I think Apple has been able to keep doing a great job of what I'm a little bit worried about. And I'm mostly trying to get you to comfort me because hopefully there's no reason to worry <laughs> right now, <laughs> arm chips, the the processors that they're going to be moving to that are incredibly performant and have uh, been able to, you know, they have better single core performance often than um, even uh, desktops or laptops, but are they, do you think Apple has the commitment to make these, for a pro level computer? Are we going to be able to have export times out of Final Cut Pro that are better than what they are now? Are we still going to be able to, you know, play uh, eight tracks of 4K or whatever you can do on your Mac Pro? Apple's committed to Mm -hmm. make a full transition in two years. How likely is that to be able to reach parity with the type of high-end processing that we expect right now? I don't think Apple would have started this transition now if they didn't have the end already in sight. And I think about like those high-end chips to say, what does Apple have to build to make a machine that's comparable to the Mac Pro, right? We haven't seen that from Apple because they haven't had a need for it yet, right? The iPad Pro is as fast or faster than the 13-inch MacBook Pro in a lot of ways. And that's incredible for an iPad, but we haven't really seen a device that requires more on the iOS side. Mm -hmm. And so I'm confident seeing with what we've seen from Apple so far and what their chip team can do, that they have these processors in the wings ready to go by the time it's time to roll out an ARM-based Mac Pro, you know, whatever that is. You know, maybe it's a cube again. Who knows? Um, Let's hope so. (laughs) It's fun. (laughs) It's fun to imagine what the form factors could sure, be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think they're going to be ready because Apple, if you had asked me this three years ago, remember three years ago, people were really concerned about what Apple thought about the pro market, right? There, The Mac Pro was dead in the water before the iMac Pro. 
and Apple recommitted itself to the market that you and I and a lot of our listeners live in. And since then, I think they've done a pretty good job showing they're serious about keeping us around. And I don't think they're going to break that promise just so they can get away from Intel. So I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think we have a lot of evidence saying that they're going to be ready. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, the, the best hint we had to that they're committed to all this is iMac Pro and the Mac Pro coming out one after the other. Um, you know, last I, I felt like last year's WWDC was the best ever and gave me everything I hoped for. And now all of a sudden I'm even like, I'm still more excited this year. I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming, but the fact that these pros have been coming out, like it, it definitely shows that, yeah, Apple is going to, is willing to keep moving in this direction. Um, they're not just going to drop all of the, all of their support for professional and stuff. And I mean, I've said it a few times, like I think that they wish that they hadn't let certain things fall out. The best example being aperture um, that I, I'm certain a lot of people at Apple wish they still had a professional photography solution because it's the only hole missing in their, in their stack right now on the video end and the audio end, they're still killing it. Like those, those apps were able to continue through. I'm not sure why it is that like, why is it that logic was so successful at, you know, making it through Apple's time of sort of forgetting about professionals, but the photography mm-hmm. app couldn't make it. Like it's it's sort of strange that it didn't survive. Yeah. But uh, I I do think now Apple wants all of this to be a big part of its future. So yeah, I mean, I'm on the same page. But uh, what would this mean in terms of things like GPUs? Like a lot of people complain about Nvidia never being supported. Now I mean that's not that's right. not going to happen. We're not getting Nvidia cards any time in the foreseeable no. future. <laughs> I don't think so. What is a GPU yeah, going to look and like? Apple and broke up. What's, in, what's a <laughs> GPU going to look like on the new ARM architecture on the new Apple Silicon? So we we know now that their system on a chip includes an embedded GPU, which you can think about like the you know the core i3, i5, i5, i7, i9, or whatever from Intel. They have this embedded GPU, which is what you get on the MacBook Air, or MacBook but that, Pro, etc. That sounds kind of gross because it wasn't great from Intel. So it wasn't great, but so I think that I think they'll have that for those machines, right? The MacBook Air, they can just use their own GPU. I, I still think the door is open to pairing one of their systems on a chip with an external GPU. Obviously, it'd be from AMD because Apple and NVIDIA broke up, which is a a whole interesting story for a different time. But I don't think they have to do system on a chip for everything. I I still think that they could integrate with AMD and put Radeon whatever into a higher-end system, a Vega GPU, you know, whatever is available in two years. Uh, That is mostly speculation on my part because I don't I don't follow that super closely but again I don't think Apple would start this without knowing what the end is and they know that especially people who use an iMac Pro or Mac Pro really are dependent on the GPU right you can go spend I think it's $5600 on the highest end GPU for a Mac Pro Apple knows there's a need for that sort of mm-hmm. stuff and so I would imagine that they will still integrate with those other partners where possible. One thing that's been really cool to watch right now lately, it snuck in just before WDC was the GPU upgrades to the 15-inch MacBook Pro. So the highest end of the GPU was refreshed sort of Mm -hmm. quietly, but the the benchmarks that I've seen out of it, the results 
are awesome. Um, and yeah. ag- again, I only saw a few of them. Max Uriev did uh, both a whole bunch of ben- benchmarks, um, some gaming tests and tests in Final Cut exports, just, you know, kind of here's all the, here's all the GPU heavy stuff and looking at how long it takes. And it was really impressive. It was beating iMac in a lot of cases, iMac Pro in a few, I think, and um, definitely way outperforming the previous gen of the, sorry, I said 15 inch, 16 inch MacBook Pro. 16 inch. Um, awesome. Like this was a totally quiet update, but it's, it's giving us that high end solution that it feels it, again for so long, it felt like we were missing. And now we just keep on getting the, these answers, like the, exactly what we're asking for, like give us a really high end mobile solution. Mm-hmm. And they did. So um, yes. And they did it. And they did it mid-cycle. Yeah. They didn't wait till there was a, pr- a processor update or something else. They were like, hey, it was just a build-to-order option. If you got 800 bucks and you want a really killer GPU in your MacBook Pro, it's now an option for you. And Apple's done some of that recently over the last couple of years. Um, they're doing it with the Mac Pro where the 5700 just came out and they're going to have a dual 5700. I think that's really awesome and I like that they're sort of breaking from the traditional mold they used to do where every 9, 12, 18 months, whatever, whatever's newest will get put in a laptop, and then that's it for another 9, 12, 18 months. And they're willing to break that down now when there's something available to put it in. And that's something else we could see from them in the ARM transition. We could see more regular updates. We could see more of these there's capacity capabilities that we've unlocked over time, and we just add it to the web page as they come well, out. And uh, that's cool. And a lot of people don't want an iMac Pro or don't want a Mac Pro. They need that mobile power. And so the 16-inch MacBook Pro in particular has been a great machine. I got one right here. I'm recording on it. And it's a fantastic notebook. Yeah, it's kind of the last of its kind, I, I guess, with ARM coming. But it's amazing what they've been able to put into this chassis at a you know relatively decent performance and cooling type situation yeah it gets hot and the fans run but it's really impressive how far it's come i was really surprised to see the transition commitment to i don't know why i mean i shouldn't have been surprised but hearing that they wanted to be done in two years which i i take that as meaning all the macs that you will have available as options will be uh, apple's own processors in two years that's really pretty soon. And mm-hmm. the reason that gives me some confidence in their ability to deliver something great right away is that means within two years, the Mac Pro could be running on Apple's CPUs, right? Yeah. Like it has to mean that. And if they're only two years away from that, that's a great sign. That means they have something really powerful that they're at least working on. Even if it's not ready today, they can see that path forward. They know how they might be able to get there because they're mm-hmm. not going to cancel the Mac Pro. I mean, I think uh, a concern I had and a common theory was that you know maybe they're just going to keep Intel and ARM Macs running side by side for a while, right? So if they had said, okay, we'll be done this transition in five years or seven years, they'd be like, oh, so that means that they're uh, just going to kind of keep the Mac Pro like alive and they're not going to be able to perform anything, uh, create anything that can perform at the same level. Um, So anyway, the the speed of that really gives me a feeling of like, yes, they have the confidence that they'll be able to deliver at that really high end 
pretty much out of the gate. I mean, even one year after release would still be right away for a transition. Like that, that would be fantastic. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's easy to compare it to Intel endlessly, but they did that transition in less than a year, but they were moving to a platform that was already understood and like the process was already there. He's like, oh, there's going to put a core two duo in this and they'll be done. Right. Uh, so this is a little bit different than that because they have to build it themselves. But yeah, I agree with you. I was really excited to hear two years. Uh, I was really hoping that wasn't going to be the case. Like, oh, I've got an Intel Mac and it's just on life support until they can match it. Mm-hmm. But I think they're moving into this aggressively. And I think that's going to be really exciting. You know, I've had a couple people ask me like, well, do you feel like a, a, a <laughs> goober for buying a Mac Pro? And you know, the answer is no, because... I'm still jealous, I, I like, so... Yeah, <laughs> I don't have the wheels on it, so don't go crazy. <laughs> but um, it's it's still a great machine. It meets my needs really well. And they're gonna, they've said they're going to support Intel for years to come in terms of OS releases. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it may not be a 10-year machine. It may be a 5- or 6- or 7-year machine, maybe even a little bit shorter. But we'll we'll just have to see what comes of that. We just don't know. And... Until then, what they make is still pretty solid, and they've said they've got more Intel stuff coming that they're excited about. You know, there was a rumor of like a refreshed, redesigned iMac that we haven't seen yet. Maybe that's an ARM iMac. Maybe it's Intel. Who knows? But they're going to have Intel stuff for a while now because there are going to be people who, for whatever reason, need an Intel Mac for years to come, and they're going to need to support that. Just like in, in the PowerPC to Intel, there were some things that, weren't quite ready on Intel for some types of workflows. And so people held on to G4 and G5 towers for years. And there may be some of that in this too. Yeah, I I don't, I, I think when they say they're going to support Intel for years, I, I imagine that is a lot of years. Like, I don't think of that as three or four or five. Like, I think it'll keep running for a pretty long time because there's going to be a lot of Intel computers out there for a while. Um, they know yeah. they just released a... Mac Pro that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, some very serious people like Stephen Hackett have invested in. And mine was not 50 grand. Let me just be real clear. (laughs) That's just what I I imagine them all being worth that. But but it's worth (laughs) that. It looks like 50 grand. So, but yeah, they're not going to just turn them off um, anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I haven't updated my macbook pro for a while now mine's still 2018 uh, i didn't get the 16 inch um, I, I reviewed one but i didn't get a personal one because i just don't i don't upgrade my computers that often my imac is still mm-hmm. 2013 or 14 I don't, I don't remember which one but i'm i'm kind of okay with that as long as they're doing what i need i don't love spending tons of money all, all the time uh, I, sure. I do like new machines but when I just know that I can still get my work done on something else, it's hard for me to to justify it. Especially when, I mean, there's, there's other things. When you're also buying cameras and lenses, it's like a uh, computer is just one of the many costs. So, <laughs> right. Well, and in a production environment, you got to find the time to be down and to move all your stuff over. And what if you have issues, totally. right? It's hard. It's hard to swap out a production machine and, when I bought my Mac Pro, I sold the iMac Pro to somebody, and I just lived on my notebook for like two weeks, and it was terrible. I was like, I really like desktops for recording and editing, and you know, I had that that cost of I'm going to be down for a day on both ends of this, kind of getting things moved and set up again, and 
And so that's another thing uh, to consider. And moving from Intel to ARM, that could be an even longer time period, right? If you do need to upgrade your applications, maybe you're on older versions of this or that. And that can add up both in terms of cost and time and money. And so I think in a, in a, in a production situation, you know, there's a lot of people who would just rather say, hey, this setup works. I'm going to freeze this setup as it is because I know how it all works inside and out. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's a such a good question. Okay, so as somebody that produces media as a job, are you going to be willing to ha- uh, start working on a ARM Apple Silicon t- computer on day one? Like, would you be willing to say like, okay, that's where I'm moving and that's where I'm going to start doing all my work? Like, would you take that chance? Do you feel like they're going to be good enough in the first round to commit to for that? Because, you know, that's a different expectation than we have is downtime is a lot more expensive for us than, you know, more normal users that are just invested in Safari and Word. Normal people use Chrome. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) um, for production, no, because I've got the Mac Pro and everything's dialed in. Right. But you're a special case, especially, yeah. But especially if one of the early ARM Macs is a notebook, uh, I do want to get my hands on one. So in my job of covering this stuff, I can I can talk about it. And and my MacBook Pro is a secondary machine for me. I own a MacBook Pro because in a previous timeline, I traveled a lot and produced audio content like all around the country. Um, that hasn't happened in a while and probably won't happen for a while. And so I can sort of sacrifice my notebook to get my hands around what is what is new. And so I, I do expect when the an ARM notebook comes out, you know, later this year, early 21, whatever that looks like, uh, that I'll get one in here. But as far as my day in and day out machine, that's going to be my tower for years to come. Are you just a little bit tempted to get one of those dev kits? Because I am, even though I absolutely oh, I don't need it yeah you did yeah. try i, I tried filling out the form uh-huh. and they're like uh give us the url of your mac app and i was like i don't have a mac app uh so i just closed the tab and no. <laughs> quietly Shoot. Walked i was away. hoping it'd be like all the other developer stuff it's like hey i gave you 100 bucks a year don't i get full access to absolutely right. everything yeah okay. yeah no that's know. not how it works right. um i don't know what i'd do with it anyway but i just i just want to play with it I would want to open it, and that's probably against the thing I would have to sign. So, and I'll let someone else yeah, take that yeah, risk. You'd open it, stare at it for a few months, and then add it to the museum. It'd be a good piece. I think you have to send it back. Uh, you oh, you do? Okay, okay. I didn't know that. Good to know. So, I just yeah. will not <laughs> pursue that at all. Yeah. Other, you know, there are some transition kits from the Intel days floating around. I wrote this article about this on Mac Stories a couple years ago. It's a fascinating deal when they do this. And there's one or two that I know about that are sort of out in the world, but. You know, they said it this time too. You know, the developer transition kit—it's not a product, yeah, right? It's I get not. It. I get it. Representative, but it'd be so cool to get yeah, my hands yeah. on it, like see what it's like, uh, especially because it's using a processor that's really two years old. It's using the A12Z, which is in the 2010. Or excuse me, 2010. It's in the 2020 <laughs> iPad Pro. Yeah. It's based on the A12, which came out 2018. So, like, if it's really fast, and I'm sure it is, well add two to three years of development on top of that, because I don't think we're going to see an, a- an A12Z in any shipping ARM Mac. It's going to be the A13, A14, whatever's next. I still, I want to make sure we get to at least a few of the other updates because so much happened. But There was other stuff? I well, don't well, even know. There's, like... still more, there's still more <laughs> to talk about here. Um, so also, 
Do you think that they'll split the processor line? Because obviously everything they optimize for in iPads and iPhones is different than what you would want on a desktop, at least, right? In an iMac. Right. Um, I don't think think they'd split it because the desktop market is just not as big. I think they just will... I don't, but, but, but what will it mean? I don't really know how will they differentiate. Will it be just the same processors and everything? That'd be really weird if there's like there's a there's a phone notebook and a I right. don't know what's going to happen. I would guess that there will be some distinction between the A14 that'll go in the iPhone and the A14 that'll go in the Mac. A, I think they probably will use different marketing names. But like you said, there are things that you want in the Mac environment that you don't necessarily need in the iPhone or iPad. One thing I think about is like H.264 and H.265 encoding and decoding. Mm -hmm. If they were to really build that in on the Mac side, well, and it's just an example. I don't actually know if they have it in the iPhone and iPad, but that's overhead you don't need in the other products, right? You keep the other products light and make the Mac maybe more specialized, so... I w- I'm sort of assuming that whatever chipsets go into the Macs, they've been tuned or tweaked for those experiences. You know, another thing you have on the desktop and even in notebooks is you have fan support. And everyone's like, yeah, fanless MacBooks. So they may do that, but a processor, processor running in your iPhone and a processor running in an iMac, the thermals couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. And so you can run it hotter and harder and faster. And so... Even that's a difference, right? The power curve and all that stuff's going to be different. So I don't see a world really where they say, we have this one processor, we're putting it in everything unchanged. I think there's going to be platform-specific things that get that get touched. You know, what's going to be the most fun about moving to all Apple CPUs is now the Apple versus PC war gets way more interesting. Like this feels more like back in the olden days, like in power PC days, where it was they're just more different. Like there is, Mm -hmm. there is so much less uh, direct parity to compare. Like it's, they're really going to be very different machines and that, you know, could be for good, could be for bad. Like I'm sure, I'm sure some weaknesses will be revealed from it. It won't be all good, but it might be really good. And whatever the case, it's just going to be fun to suddenly have such a big difference. Like there's suddenly going to be a very different computer available out there. Um, Mm -hmm. And, I don't know. It's going to give us a lot to talk about. It is. I'm looking forward to seeing how they how they compare in the real world. I, I think, too, I'm interested in seeing what does it do to the PC side of things. You know, Windows and ARM has been a lot of false starts. And right now you can run ARM stuff with Windows, but they're really limited and they can't emulate the 32-bit or they can't emulate the 64-bit stuff. So they're stuck with older 32-bit apps. Like, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. And this could be a situation, I kind of think it will be, that this may be enough sort of a kick in the pants, if you will, for Qualcomm or whoever is going to build these for the PC, for them and Microsoft and the OEMs to say, we've really got to get on this, Mm -hmm. right? We need to be competitive with what Apple's doing. For all the same reasons that Apple's moving away from Intel, there are a bunch of PC makers that have those same issues, right? That... They've hit thermal limitations. They've sort of hit a wall with Intel's roadmap. I guarantee you there are PC OEMs who would love the flexibility that moving to ARM could give them. And 
I'm just really curious to see if that side of the industry follows suit. I think they may eventually. I think there is a, a possibility that in five years or 10 years, whatever it is, that x86 is basically gone and everything is on ARM, some <laughs> flavor of it. Right? Like it's possible, yeah. right? If you think about PowerPC or even older chipsets that have come and gone, you know, x86 has had a really long life, really long life. And maybe this is finally the time where it gets retired. I don't know. But I feel like they're going to be PCOEMs who look at the benefits Apple gets and be like, I want that too. <laughs> I mean, either way, uh, there's going to be a lot of fun benchmarking to watch. And yeah, like oh yeah, th- I last year, last WWDC, I was saying this is the biggest year for Mac ever like we we Mm -hmm. really went back to the mac like it's it feels good to be a mac user again which i am like i love the mac um kind of more than my iphone like i I really really like it and somehow this year still made it more exciting um much more i mean we didn't get any products but just knowing what's going to happen in the future like it's Mm -hmm. absolutely nuts um but some other things happen in the present what else happened after all this? I, I kind of forgot. I maybe <laughs> look at my notes. I mean, I'm just like, I'm, ca- I'm so one track yeah. minded, but there is immediate news. I mean, we've got uh, Mac OS 11, you know, the, mm-hmm. the number has changed and uh, the t- yeah. timing makes sense. After, tw- after uh, 19 years, yeah. uh, Mac OS 10 is gone. This big Sur, which is, you know, all names sound funny in the beginning. <laughs> big Sur sounds particularly funny in the beginning. Uh, Mac OS 11.0. And I think, you know, that's semantics, right? It could be called whatever. Mm-hmm. The name, the numbers are completely arbitrary. But I think they are signifying that this is the beginning of a new chapter. Um, I, I wanted to know what you thought about the the new design. I don't know if you've got a chance to play with it or just looked at screenshots or the keynote. But, like, do you have any thoughts on sort of the iPad UI coming to the Mac in a bigger way? Yeah. Um, I'm a little nervous about it because... It, um, I mean, there's things about the iPad interface that have made it harder for me to get certain tasks done over the years. Um, you know, just less information being visible at a time, less depth of interface on screen in any moment. Um, and you know, I, I never want the Mac to move too far in that direction. There seem to be some really clear design cues looking towards touch Macs at some point in the future, yep. which I just, I'd give, <laughs> yeah. I'd totally given up on that. I was like, Nah, like that's not a thing anymore. That was a pipe dream of the 2000s. Like we can for, we can forget about it. Well, apparently not. Like so, this is seems to be yeah. uh, where they're moving. And let's put a feather in that because I, I or a feather. <laughs> Who bookmarks anything with a feather? Let's put a bookmark in that because I want to come back to that because I have a theory. Yeah, but like um, yeah, Big Sur. I've been running it on an external drive because I'm not person who like I, I do have a job to do so i'm not gonna run it natively or directly on anything yet Yeah, i didn't run it at all so i haven't tried it just looked at the screenshots okay so i would say that i understand and feel really the same way you do about the ipad interface i feel like it slows me down in a lot of ways big sur is really a collision of what mac os looked like and what the ipad looks like and so it still very much feels like the mac Windows still act like the Mac for the most part. Uh, really, the data density feels like the Mac, but so much of the UI is familiar 
to iPhone and iPad users. The, uh, the way I kind of think about it is the family resemblance is stronger than ever. It's not that they pasted the iPad UI on top of the Mac and said, well, that's it. It's all we have to do. And if you watch some of the sessions, it's clear that they put a lot of thought into the Mac's UI unlocks all these workflows for people. We need to preserve all of that, but we want it to look and feel more friendly for people coming from the iPhone and iPad. And I think they've struck a pretty good balance. Uh, You know, in the first beta, I've got real complaints about the use of transparency in a lot of places. Some things are just straight hard to read. Yes, I'm with you on that. The the Uh, top menu bar never should have been transparent. I never wanted to be transparent ever, as an example. Yeah, it's really hard to read some menu items. Uh, There's a big issue in the first beta with what text field has focus. So if you're, say you're in a long field using the tab key to move between fields, it's kind of hard to tell which one is active. And, you know, I think that would hopefully get better over the beta process. It kind of feels in a way like how, you remember the first iOS 7 beta was like impossible to Mm -hmm. use because like you couldn't read anything. Everything was like, yeah, but like all the fonts were like ultra thin and, and they, they sort of fixed it over time. I think some of that will get resolved in the beta process, I hope. Although it, it does have some of that iPad feel, I, I do still think that overall, when I just glance through it, I just look at everything, it still does feel like the Mac. I don't feel out of place or like it's a, a new machine. Um, and you know what? I, I'm sure there's actually, I bet you anything, there are Mac users out there that will update to it and not even notice that it's changed. Like they won't <laughs> realize how much has really changed. Cause mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the, it, it, there are those things that as they change, you start to forget what the old one looked like. And I think, I think this, this design approach is definitely good enough that we will end up in that situation where some of these differences will slip away and the old one will look old. It'll age. And I, I can get used to this new look. I, 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 despite the complaints. I mean, how many times over the years has Apple tweaked the way Aqua looks, right? It's, it's been, it's changed a whole bunch of times. Thankfully. I mean, <laughs> glad uh, we're not still looking at the same thing in the original OS 10, but pinstripes and then brushed metal. And then, they sort of unified it, and they've they changed it in Mavericks to what we have now. Um, but I want to come back to the feather we put down earlier uh, about the <laughs> Let's pick up the that touch feather. Stuff. Yeah. So picking up that feather, you mentioned the menu bar. The translucency is a problem, but the padding around everything is increased. Mm-hmm. One reason, I mean, I think the reason we haven't had touch on Mac OS yet is the interface just isn't designed for it. You have a bunch of these tiny precision targets because it was a mouse and trackpad OS for, I mean, really since the beginning, since 84. And with Big Sur, you can see that starting to erode. And you can see, oh, there's all this padding around things in the menu bar and in popovers and even the uh, like the toolbars in something like Finder or Mail. They got a lot more room to breathe now. And I look at all of that and I look at it Combined with the fact that we're seeing more iPad apps come to the Mac with Mac Catalyst. And this is like a huge topic. Maybe we can just like get it out in two sentences. But ARM-based Macs will be able to run iPhone and iPad apps unaltered when they ship. Mac Catalyst is there, which is the technology they rolled out two years ago to like bring your iPad app to the Mac. And we've seen some successful versions of that so far. 
uh, like Carrot Weather, something I use every day as a Catalyst app. Catalyst is there for for iOS developers who want to really fine tune for the Mac, and it, it will be required to move an iPad app to the to Intel Mac still. But unaltered iPhone and iPad apps are built for touch, and you can use them with a cursor, and like it's fine, it works, it's not great. But that combined with all this spacing and padding and sort of new look to Big Sur, I would be really surprised if, at least as an option, maybe it's not on all of them, but maybe it's like how a bunch of PC OEMs do it, where like you have the base MacBook, and if you want touch, it's another 400 bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, knowing Apple would be 800 bucks. Um, and I think that's where they're headed. I really do. And it, I think it'll still be mostly cursor driven. And touch is there when you need it. Just like on the iPad, it's touch first and you have a cursor when you need it. I think the Mac's going to fall in line with that. And yeah, I'm not going to use touch on a MacBook Pro to edit a podcast, I don't think, because the cursor is a precision tool and that's a precision job. But yeah, flipping through photos or browsing the web or things like that, I could see myself kind of using a mix of keyboard, trackpad, and touch. I do know the feeling of thinking you can touch something that you can't touch. So I, what, once it's there, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we'll be very used to it. I still also hate grease on my screen. So I don't, I don't know what I'm really going to yes. do with it. But that was, that's a <laughs> really good insight that actually I, I hadn't thought about that even um, if it's a long ways off that we have touch max, um, kind of un- unifying some of that experience as a unaltered iPhone app suddenly appears on your Mac and, and making it feel more at home. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I just hadn't really thought about that, that they're going to need to live side by side. And right now that difference is more stark and this will be just make it a little bit more of a gentle transition. Um, but I do have yeah. a, a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, the bringing by bringing iPhone apps and especially some of the abilities that developers have used over the years for um, things like the machine learning options that are available have created some crazy powerful creative tools that have not been matched on the desktop at all like not even close i've gone on about Mm -hmm. this a few times but uh, the best example is just retouching right now if i'm working on like professional photos for a client like this needs to be perfect and it's going to be blown up to be on a billboard I need to just sit there in Photoshop and carefully take out every single little blemish, every hair that's out of place. I need to do it completely by hand. And I can't do as good of a job as certain apps can do. Quite a few apps, actually. Like any competently written retouching app can use artificial intelligence, machine learning to just like automate a lot of the stuff that takes me hours to do. And there just hasn't been, I I don't know why, but apparently there hasn't been the market to have professional apps like that, like professional retouching apps or some of the title transitions that you can do for video that like you can't match that stuff in uh, Final Cut or like um, the way that you can, like the Clips app has this, where if you're recording a video and speaking into it, it'll do auto dictation as you go. And then you just, Mm -hmm. there are dozens of apps like this that for a pro application would be incredibly powerful and we don't have any of it. I was just using the Snapchat filter the other day that can remove my beard and it worked (laughs) and like kind of, it didn't look real, but like real enough. I couldn't do that in Photoshop. All I could do is put somebody else's shaved face on mine, but Mm -hmm. like 
So it will literally let us do things that were impossible. And it's doing it in real time video on a phone. So now let me you know, have a Mac Pro chew through that for half an hour instead and see how good of a job it can be. Like those things might get yeah. crazy real soon. And that could come from just using an iPhone or iPad app on the Mac. But going back to the ARM transition, Apple's really, even in the keynote, very rightfully proud of their neural engine machine learning stuff. And that's going to be baked into every Mac now. And so I think that those developers building those sorts of tools could take that logic, take the the machine learning stuff they've built and apply it to a, a sort of more native, native is the wrong word. Uh, more traditional Mac app. And yeah, you're totally right that there's all these things out there that have been sort of trapped on the iPhone and iPad. You know, I'm the same as you. I'm a Mac-centric kind of person. And like, yeah, I'd love to have this or that on my Mac. And and now we're going to have that either through an app just running, through Mac Catalyst, which continues to get better. They made a lot of good improvements out this, this year. Or developers taking the time, if it's worth them and their business model, taking what they've built and reimagining it for the Mac. I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I think there is like a, a possible dark timeline where like good Mac apps, as we know them today, sort of get replaced in a sea of okay iPhone and iPad ports. Yeah, but I, I, think, I worry about that too. Yeah. But I still think there's going to be room for developers to build well-written, well-designed professional Mac apps for people who have jobs to do. And it may be harder to make a living out of that, which is really unfortunate, but I still think that market is going to be there, right? Like I'm not going to replace the professional tools I use on the Mac with something from an iPhone. Uh, It's just not the way my workflow is set up. And I think that's probably true for a lot of creators. I mean, it will open up some other potential revenue streams though. Like when you think about Snapchat filters, if you've already, or Instagram stories or whatever, there's a million filters out there. If you give me a final cut plugin that is doing that same thing um, and give me a few parameters that I can move some sliders and set it to the way that I want it to be, I'll probably pay 50 to $100 for that. And so will every other professional that ever needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've already built, if you've already done most of the work to make the mobile version of it, um, it really might be worth being like, here, look, let's throw out a pro version. Sure. I mean, like we'd only have to do, we'd only have to basically let the user control all of the things that currently developers are setting those parameters and Mm -hmm. plug it into some, you know, bigger app like Final Cut. Um, Yeah. I mean, it, I, I just take my money, please, because <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for that. <laughs> uh, and somebody will capitalize off of it. I mean, there's businesses right now like Motion, uh, am I getting that right? Motion VFX is the Final Cut plugin company yeah. um, where they do you know titles and transitions and 3D renders and like anything. You can just plug it into Final Cut. They're going to have a field day with this and other businesses mm-hmm. like them. So, Yeah, and that stuff will get better for users because it'll be faster and more efficient and that's where i kind of come back to i think this is going to be a good thing for those of us making stuff on the mac because as the mac becomes more efficient as it gets out of the way we have more freedom to make what we want to make right the mac is just a, a tool it's a very fancy very expensive screwdriver but the better that screwdriver gets the more things i can do with it and so 
uh, you know, I'm excited to see what that what those possibilities are. And in the past, when Apple has gone through these transitions, the platform's always been better on the other side. And I'm willing to say they've done it well three times. I'm willing to bet on the fourth. Yeah, I'm very hopeful about it. I, I do remember the first one. I remember running things in Rosetta. I mean, uh, Director by uh, Mac- yeah. Macromedia. I think that was like mm-hmm. never transitioned. I think it died before. Uh, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of Macromedia stuff never made the jump. But that's what I was using in college. So I was in college during the transition. So like all of our computer lab machines were um, like running a lot of that transitional stuff and you launch into Mac classic or however it worked. I don't remember. You'd have to wait yeah. for the boot for the virtualization mm-hmm. to kick in. I'm sure it'll be smoother this time. I'd still be curious to see like, uh, well, I guess Adobe's going to be there, right? Like Premiere will probably be running natively. Um, but Hope so. I wonder what a heavy application like that. Uh, what's another, I mean, maybe DaVinci Resolve. Let's say Resolve isn't ready on day one. How does that mm-hmm. run in virtualization? Like, does it yeah. really slow down? Cause I, I could see it having a hard time, but. Yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. You know, Rosetta is this really like complicated thing. It is actually translating the commands. They do it at install now, so a lot of it's like ready to go. Oh yeah, so right. I think it'll be that's crazy. Actually, I heard that and kind it of is. glossed over. Like, so it's I just I don't even know how to. So it's basically like turning it into a <laughs> a new app. Like it's rewriting the app. Like um, what are examples of that on the, on the web? This, this stuff kind of happens where like, you'll just kind of rewrite on the fly and deliver something different. That's just translated into whatever the local application yeah. is expecting. It, it's, it's kind of wild. like just in time stuff a little bit. Um, it's definitely a, a little over my pay grade, but effectively they're doing that work when you install the application under on an ARM Mac running Big Sur mm-hmm. And that should speed up launch times and make it more performant. But yeah, there may be a, a performance hit there, but I think that developers, look, this is where it's going, right? They said you have two years, like any app that doesn't make the transition will be replaced by something else. Because in two years, right. when you go into the Apple store and buy something, there's not going to be an Intel option. And and Rosetta will fade away, you know, Last time they used Tiger 10.4 as the transition OS. Rosetta was there in 10.5. And then um, I think it hung out, hung around till 10.6 maybe, but like it was gone pretty quickly uh, just after a couple of years. And I think that will probably be the case here where let's say the last Mac goes ARM in 2022, Rosetta's going to go away in 2024, if not sooner. It's, th- this is not something they want to hang on to forever. Mm-hmm. They want to use it as a bridge to get developers to the future and then move on. It's going to be really good. Uh, okay. Well, I, I still want to touch on what what else did we miss? Uh, there's a new iOS, which is yeah. exciting. Widgets, I mean, on your, widgets on your iPhone home screen, but not on your iPad home screen. Like there's some yeah, that's weird. continuity stuff there that's weird. Um, when they first showed the widgets, I was sure and hopeful that they would la- allow me to arbitrarily move icons around. And I was very disappointed to see that you can't. Because like, I always yep. set up my phone to have blank space at the top and put my important mm-hmm. icons at the bottom because that's where your thumb is. Yep. Um, I guess you know you could do that with a, a widget, which is what I'll do. I'll just take up a bunch of space at the top with a widget, put all the apps at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. It just it just feels like yeah. why at this point like w- w- why is there this reverse gravity trying to push everything upwards? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not total freeform like on Android, but 
Uh, I think that'll be useful. I am disappointed they're not currently on the iPad. They're still just stuck on that left-hand side. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if they they change that. You know, the iPad didn't have as big of a year as it did last year. I think the biggest thing is Scribble, where you can take a pencil and you can handwrite in any text input field, and it turns it into text. And I've been using that over the last couple of days, and it is like creepy good. Like it's really good. My handwriting's atrocious. Yeah, mine too. And it it figures it out. I think everyone our age, their handwriting's <laughs> bad. Because like, when's the last time you handwrote anything longer than a grocery yeah, list? Yeah. But it's um, it's it's really impressive to see that technology come to the iPad, and it makes the iPad feel more like this like canvas thing you can like, take around and be creative with well, or the um, better the more useful one to me is when you're drawing diagrams which is still a thing that i'll pull out ipads to do like that's actually a main reason i'll use a pencil is to just you know n- like uh from doing a lighting setup like okay i want the person standing here cameras here lights are here um now it'll have the shape like snap to grid shapes kind of thing so if you draw yeah. an arrow between two points it'll turn into a proper arrow you're crappy circle will be a perfect circle uh mm-hmm. the, the example they had was like a pentagon no uh, I, it, like it was odd shapes too not just squares and circles yeah. um and that stuff has existed before there's other ipad apps that have had it it's in uh Illust- yeah. illustrator does an amazing job of that kind of stuff but it really helps and i find can make me g- gravitate to the ipad more often when i know that mm-hmm. something i create on there will look better than if i draw it on a piece of paper or with a mouse sure. so, oh yeah and all that gets baked into Pencil Kit. So any third-party apps that use kind of the off-the-shelf, like this is what the Apple Pencil does, uh, they'll get all that's that great. stuff. That's great. That's so good. Which is cool. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, they're not locking it down to just the Notes app, for instance. Um, yeah, and I guess we've got the watch. You, know, you can do sleep tracking. I was really hoping that the watch would have a bigger focus on mental health, especially now, right? Like so many of us struggle with that anyways, but then you add a pandemic to it and it just gets worse. I was really hoping that, for instance, you could change the activity rings or there'd be additional rings for sleep tracking or mindful minutes or something like that. And that core functionality really hasn't changed. But the sleep tracking is cool. Uh, my wife sleep tracks with an Apple Watch. She really loves it. And so you know, I was telling her about it. I was like, you know, it's going to be more native and there's stuff you can do now called wind down. So like at bedtime, you can tell the shortcuts app to like give you these options like hey i want to turn off these lights and do these things every night and it can automate some of that stuff Uh, so they're doing a lot more around that i think the watch continues to get better and better but i was hoping for more i'm a little disappointed that it's still mostly a physical health item and not one that's more cohesive right but you know there's always next year yeah they're they're working on it um I, i i was I'd been wondering and wondering out loud if there would be something that Apple does this year based on the conditions of the world. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's no way that the pandemic didn't affect some major components of releases. I mean, it's got a, you know, uh, I'm I'm sure at least one or two features from something have had to be bumped because they just couldn't produces quickly because people are working from home because other features came up. But so what was interesting to see is to see the handwashing app or function functionality on the phone. And you know, it's like, it's kind of just cute and small and like, it's just a fun thing, but it's really, it's really interesting to me because it just shows that Apple was thoughtful and responsive when this happened. They're like, this Mm -hmm. is really important and our products are, ubiquitous you know like we are shaping people's lives by the functionality on these devices 
what yeah. what is anything that we can do to try to make lives better in this moment uh and they found a little thing and it has bubbles in it so it's fun yeah the animation is adorable like <laughs> yeah, i really good. like it i wish that hand washing was coming to watch os6 i'm disappointed that we all have to wait to the fall for that because that's important right. now yeah right? actually especially like in my part weird. of the country it's yeah. getting pretty bad yeah. it's like yeah this would be good to have today yeah. but um yeah I, I i think the apple watch in particular is a place for apple to be nimble because even more so than the phone, it is with you all the time, right? Like, I know we're all glued to our phones, but if you wear an Apple Watch, it's on your body 12 hours a day, if not more. And so that's really an interface for them. And the hand washing is a great thing, but I, I kind of wish they could move a little bit faster on some of that stuff. Okay. If anybody wants a proper rundown of all of WWDC, you did a, a great job on uh, Mac Power users. So that's that's the place to find out what happened because Stephen has lots of great shows out there. Um, but thanks for joining me for this one. Uh, cause that was a rabbit hole. I definitely needed to go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to talk about the Mac, right? Like it's, it's a platform that's been around a long time, but still obviously has, I believe has a long road ahead of it. And it's, it's fun when we get to these inflection points to talk about what it can mean. So yeah, it's fun to nerd out all the time. Awesome. Thanks again, Stephen. Thank you.